Welcome to the Writer's Jihad. In Islam, jihad means the struggle for peace, the greatest of which is within ourselves. For most writers, we imagine that once we make it, we'll be at peace. But that's not true. The top professionals find peace as elusive as anyone else. The Writer's Jihad is a podcast series of interviews with writers at different points in their careers talking about the struggle for peace in their industry. Every award-winning professional began as an unpublished amateur. We all start at the same place. We all face the same struggles. And we shouldn't hide those struggles behind the mystique of the craft, nor the glamour of success. If we can help each other, we should. So today, I'm with Shannon O'Neill. Hello, Shannon. Hey, Bass. How are you? I'm okay. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Well, um, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? Myself? Yeah. All right. I'm Shannon O'Neill. I'm a writer. I'm an event planner. I do a lot of things. I sort of owned calling myself a writer maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Um, so I've written some short stories. I'm currently working on a novel and also written some nonfiction and yeah kind of learning how to survive by making writing the main part of my life and day yeah I, I i remember when you gave me um was it one chapter of your novel i think so it was probably the first maybe maybe 50 pages maybe less. i think i think that sounds about right because i and i remember because uh, I, I remember it still because when i read it i'm not someone who reads a lot of novels at all but it, the prose was so vivid, and I can remember the house you described. And this was how long ago now? Five years ago? Um, six years ago? Probably, yeah, about five years ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember it. I remember the house with the fire. and Yeah, I thought it was a really vivid prose. <laughs> I really thought it was great. Wow. And, and I, as I say, I don't read novels, so uh, maybe that's a bad thing. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good thing. You want it to stick with the it, reader. It, yeah, it, definitely. It really, um, I can remember that. I still have the picture of it in my head. So um, it was really vivid prose. I was really, I was really impressed by it. So um, you, you mentioned something. You said uh, you've, uh, you started owning that you call yourself a writer. You said you, you started to own this. What do you mean by that? When you say you own this, like you, you don't, you say it apologetically, you'd like, no, this is what I am. Yeah, I think I maybe try to lead with that first. Um, and as I've written things, I felt more comfortable calling myself a writer because coming out of undergrad, you know, everybody has a lot of baggage about yeah. who they are and identity and ego and all that stuff. And yeah. then as I got older, and probably when I went into a grad school program to do my MFA in creative writing, that was when I was like, okay, I am a writer. I've been published. I've been paid for it, right? Which is sort of one of the rules people say is when you can call yourself a writer. Um, even though before that, I've been paid for writing music reviews, but I think it was when I got paid for writing fiction or creative nonfiction that I felt like I could say that with without feeling, you know, like saying I'm an artist or I'm, you know, because of course yeah. our culture devalues anything in the creative fields. Um, and then the next question yeah. you usually get when you say you're a writer is, well, what have you written that I that I might have read or seen? Or, oh, you've, you've got a novel? When's it coming out? You know, yeah. so then you end up down that hole, yeah. rabbit hole. Um, yeah. No, you yeah. do. Uh, it's, it, that ha that, happened to me, that happens to me. And um, it's it's the same. It's that constant thing of, like, you're not a writer until you've published. And one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast uh, with people 
varying different levels of, of their career, completely different points in the career. Some people have just started writing for the first time. Other people are established professionals. And my thinking was no one had ever interviewed Quentin Tarantino when he was working at a video store. Right. But he, he had, he was still, he was Quentin Tarantino then. Right. Like I, I was a writer before, you know, I got a book deal, you know, before you get published, you have, you're a writer because what else is getting published? You had to have written it. Right. So it, it makes no sense. It's like, if you've got the thing and no one's published it, that doesn't mean you're not a writer because you actually did write it. It just means you're not published. So it's, I've always found that a very strange thing and people beat themselves up over not being published and, yeah, not being paid. You know, we get into the whole capitalist construct of work <laughs> and what it means, and then yeah, yes. talk a lot about that and how it affects your writing and your output, and suddenly yeah. we're just cogs in a creative wheel. Right. Uh, I mean, I don't know if, how about it. I wonder if it's the same for you. Once you started owning it and saying, "Yeah, I'm a writer," sort of unapologetically, and getting over this whole thing, did you then at that point realize that the thing that made you feel confident to call yourself writer what is, was unimportant. Probably, yeah. Yeah. I think it was just became a, a reflex to just say I'm a writer, and then not feel, hmm. uh, yeah, insecure about that, or not, you know, follow it up with, oh, but I haven't published anything, or oh, but you know, you just leave it up. But most people don't care, really. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you say it, they'll believe you. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, all right. So uh, today you wanted to talk about um, a pro the process and understanding your own process of writing. So, um, so uh, what was it? What what is it for you that made you sort of get your process together and sort of understand how it is that you you write? Yeah, I think for me it was about again, accepting that, you know, I love movies and TV. Um, and I also love books. Mm. And as a kid, I probably was reading more books than I was watching movies. And then at some point in my life, those things sort of flipped. Um, and there's a real divide sometimes, especially in, you know, as an English major, and maybe not so much now, but when I was in grad school of, you know, movies and films are somehow little subpar to literature and there is a yeah. difference reading a book is very different than a yeah. screenplay or watching a movie but for me as a writer when i am processing scenes or thinking about things i'm seeing it you know it's visual for me it's not about the prose or poetry i love poetry sure. but that's not what my prose is at least not with my novel mm -hmm. um so for me understanding my process was like where i got my inspiration and and most of my inspiration happened to come from like crime films and you know these sort of it was funny because it was like the films i loved you know were like the godfather and mm. goodfellas and i mean there's so many of those films right but right. then the literature i loved was tony morrison and um you know some southern women writers that people maybe hadn't even heard of so mm. trying to combine those two things in my brain um was a breakthrough for me where I kind of again let go of like oh I'm writing a crime and I didn't set out to write a crime novel it's what I've written mm. um and that's what happened because that was the story that came to me um and so kind of accepting accepting that that's fine that the way you see setting you know not you don't have to be all one thing or the other mm. um so not only just finding out how do I inspire myself 
honest story makes sense to me. Uh, for me, it, it came down to watching a lot of films again and breaking it down and seeing how it worked with those characters and then bringing that into my writing more so than it came from reading a novel by an author that I love um, and then trying to mimic that. Uh, so, so if that makes sense. Yeah, so that would explain also why your novel was so vivid because you're you're looking at it from like your your uh, references are all in that way. Like your, your process references are all films, and so you can't help but think yeah. of it visually. I, I I I get that. I can't I can't write. I couldn't write a novel. Uh, I mean, I don't read enough of them, and I I don't think like that. I think in terms of very clearly. I think in terms of film you know or rather tv or whatever you know video and comics that's how i think but mostly video Uh, i don't i don't that's how i look at those things and so uh, i get that that and so that's interesting so for for the pros was there a sense because the way you said that was like um it was as if you said the the writing people treat the writing as subpar so was there a sort of pressure that you weren't supposed to draw reference from films like if you're a novelist, you've got to be inspired by novels. You can't be inspired by. Was there a snobbery in the in your? Yeah, I think right, and I think you know maybe I looked for the snobbery to give myself an excuse to not write. I don't know, but I, I think it does still exist. <laughs> oh, that's bit, that's right? very Where, oh, um, that's very interesting. What, go explain about that a bit. What do you mean the snobbery <laughs> well, was think, an excuse you know, not to you, write? If you want to place some sort of. Uh, impediment in your way right they're going to find it if you just are feeling lazy about writing or whatever you know so yes. you kind of can feel like oh i don't fit in here or, that's not what i'm trying to do and sometimes it's true sometimes you see someone doing it a certain way and you're like oh i'm not doing it like that so therefore i'm wrong or that's really not what i'm doing and so you can fool yourself and i think i did that a lot which right. i guess falls into maybe imposter syndrome um spent years you know being like well maybe i'm not a writer maybe i should do this or that and that's how i ended up in film school mm-hmm. uh which i loved but I didn't really want to make films, but I think it was helpful in terms of story. Um, but getting back to your question, I, I mean, I think it's less so now, but I will say one thing. And I remember um, I wasn't in this class, but there was a novel writing class, um, part of my creative writing program. And one of the teachers did teach Bob McKee's story book. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people in the class just bristled because they were like well what i'm doing isn't about structure you can't break it down that way you know so it gets into that emotional space yeah yeah and and i think that depends on the right but it's funny talking to some of those writers now like as they've been writing longer they love the book because they grew up emotionally right because you exactly you can't break the rules until you understand them um so i think there's that level of like oh screenwriting is different from writing a novel and and it is but it doesn't you know, it's like playwriting. Is that much? To, I mean, I can yeah. read plays and feel like I've read a novel because I can fill in in my brain. I mean, it's going to be better if I see it on the stage. Yeah, there's a subtext, isn't there? When it's not, it's not that it's that they don't think, see them as different. They see one as better than the other. What they're doing is real art, and what you're doing isn't real art. And so, uh, so you were saying like there was this, this sort of pressure that like because you're drawing your influences from the Godfather, which is based on a novel. Uh, and Goodfellas, yeah. which is based on. And it's a actually novel. not a bad novel. I mean, yeah. it's the, a good novel. These are based on novels, but because you're drawing the influence from the film, people were sort of there was this sort of pressure that that doesn't make you a real novelist and therefore not a real writer. 
Yeah, I mean, I can't say anyone ever verbalized that. You know, no, this could have been no. ghosts in my own head, but yeah. I think just seeing how, you know, reading about how other writers work or novelists, like, say, Philip Roth. I mean, that's like taking, like, the godfather <laughs> of writers in a way, right? And he, you know, holds up in a house and, I mean, it's cost him probably wives and children and everything else or any sure. sort of, or did cost him that kind of life to just write all day and that's what he's going to do. And, and, you know, and his prose is very vivid. It's just very different. I don't know that Philip Roth was spending a lot of time watching movies. Um, Maybe he would have gained some sort of, I don't know, he would have been a more relaxed person if he would have, I don't know. Um, But yeah, so I think there is this divide and I don't think it's really, I don't think it's helping anyone, you know, I don't think it can hurt to like take a screenwriting class if you're writing fiction or take a poetry class, like all of it works in your brain in a different way. Um, And I think, you know, that, that helps when people can, when you can understand that about yourself and try to find that creativity in different places. I mean, that's, that's why I say when it comes to genre as well, I'm always saying that you, you should, you shouldn't just like look at the one genre you like, because there's a bunch of genres and when you're researching like when you're trying to understand the nature of the genre that you're working in it's good to cast a wide net because if you get to the fringes where another genre sort of collides then it's good to know the difference like you know what's the difference between horror and action and it's like well one's scary and one's exciting and then once you realize that your knowledge to write action is going to be much improved because you know it's not horror sometimes that's a good way to so I, I get that. Yeah, like take a screenwriting course if you're a novelist, because what, what what's the harm? You're going to learn about efficiency and economy. You're going to, and not, not only that, but I mean, if you take a screenwriting course and people are talking about things like budget, well, that's going to inspire you as a novelist because you don't have to worry about budget. Yeah, thinking about when you're writing, yes, you don't have a budget, but kind of in the back of your mind thinking, what if there was a budget involved? What if I did have to pay this character to walk in the door? What if, you know, like, mm. what would that mean for that scene? Yeah. And so it can give you some limitations. Like, I need lots of limitations. Um, sure. And that can help you sometimes to think, like, yeah. all right, does this guy really need to run this errand twice in 20 pages? Or <laughs> what am I really, am I indulging myself or am I actually giving good information to the reader? Exactly, yeah. I, I, it's it's interesting because that's, yeah, you look you can look at it both ways. You can go, well, what can I do that I c- couldn't do in a film? And then you could go, well, if this was a film, would I ever do this? And you'd say to yourself, no, I wouldn't. So, you know, therefore maybe I shouldn't do it. Maybe I'm, as you say, being indulgent or, or whatever. I'm just using it as an excuse not to push myself or whatever. Yeah. So, I mean, this gets to what you were talking about um, uh, before we started, uh, how one person's process is not everybody's, that you learned this this lesson. Yeah. Yeah, I learned it in many ways, um, <laughs> over and over, and still need to learn it. But, yeah, I think, you know, especially in creative writing programs, mm. it's, some of the teacher and honestly I think sometimes as a writer you can't necessarily teach another person not necessarily how to write mm. in the terms of like what they're putting down on the paper but really like the methods of writing uh what works for you in terms of schedule or output yeah. or all those things and I think we kind of get really caught up in um you know a certain number of words a day or pages a day yeah. or this and that and like you can really 
I mean, I've seen people freeze and not be able to do anything or write very little. And then for me, it was actually the opposite where when I'm told like, keep writing, you'll find the story. I could keep, I mean, I have scenes I'll never use. I mean, I probably, the first version of this novel, I mean, I'm probably on version 12 right now. I mean, (laughs) first version, there's probably at least a hundred pages that I never used, you know, or characters. And I kept, you know, thinking, okay, I need it to be bigger. Like, okay, maybe they need to like go to another location. I mean, I could, I had like, I think like George R.R. R. Martin syndrome and I, <laughs> I empathize with him um, because you can see how you just keep world building yeah. because you think that's going to give you clarity and instead end up with way too many characters or way too many scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I had to cut way back um, and really think about like, okay, what am I writing here and boil it down to like, what's this about, you know, and force myself to do that. And it was not fun because I thought I had finished my novel and I had basically, you know, 200 pages of words. (laughs) There was some, there's essence. I mean, certain things stayed like the house fire. Like there's a lot of things that did stay, Mm. but I think I had to like then boil it all back down. And that was really hard and painful. Um, And then, you know, when we met through the McKee seminars, I was able to sit through his seminar and, you know, I had a vague understanding of what his whole thing was about. But man, mm. sitting through that seminar, I'll never forget. I was day two mm. and he was talking about what a novice writer does and what a professional does. And it was just fireworks went off in my head. I had to leave the room. I was like, I wow, because it just flipped, literally flipped the script on like everything I'd been taught or had sort of taught myself or listened to. And it opened me up to being able to see like, okay, I can take this in smaller, smaller bites and build it out that way rather than building a whole house. You're going to have to blow up because you didn't put the plumbing in correctly, which is basically what I've done. So, so painful process. What, what was the thing that when you say the difference between professional and novice writers, what was the, what was the, difference? right. Yeah. What he said was with um, a novice writer, he's like, you know, you have this idea and it's a great idea and you write and write and write Mm -hmm. and you've got like however many pages Mm -hmm. and then you give it to a friend and your friend reads it and your friend's like, yeah, you know, it's really interesting. You got some great setting and characters and, but I just feel like there's kind of something missing and maybe blah, 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 you know, and they don't really give you great clarity on it. Then you get it back. You maybe edit it one more time. You still can't figure it out. So then you either give it back to the friend to read. So now you're giving your friends hundreds of pages to read, which they're overwhelmed with. Um, and then still something's not working and then you just stick it in a drawer and never look at it again. Um, or you do try to rework it, but well, what happens is you've now created this, all these scenes, all these people, and now they're very dear to you and you don't want to kill them off. You don't want to change them. Now they've like become like family yeah. and it's impossible for you to be able to remove that because now you've built this whole thing and it's harder to see. Whereas a professional writer starts with, you know, maybe a few ideas on a note card. Then you think about the characters. You really plot things out in a in a different way. And then you, all you're doing, you're summarizing it in a sentence. You're throwing it out if it doesn't work. And you know, so you're not. You haven't. You don't have hundreds of pages weighing you down. And so that became part of your process. You started just doing things in the step outline form. Yeah. Just... Well, I was still using the same novel. So yeah. So then I still had this novel, hmm. and then I kind of just backwards engineered it and put it put it through that process and went scene by scene or section by section, summarized each chapter. And I also used a software called Scrivener, which yeah. I love. I've I, like lawyers I, and people in grad school that use it. It's great. I, I use Scrivener. Super helpful. I swear by it. It's so good. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, so that really helped me be able to visually, because again, like I'm saying, I'm visual. And I think when you're someone who's verbal and communicative and into reading, people think, you know, you're verbal, you understand things written, and I actually understand things quicker visually. Yes, so yes. Um, anyway, Scribner's been a great help to be able just to move things around and summarize. I, 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 I completely get this because um, as someone who, you know, grew up reading comics and just loving comics, and, you know, if you wanted to get textbook or anything, it's always like, if anything like that, it was always just always prose. And everything was, and to me, I'm like, no, I think visually, I imagined fonts and how you place things. And I, instead of wanting to write um, a paragraph explaining something, I just want to show a picture of the thing. I don't, I don't see the point in trying to find all these words when the picture will do it. And, um, and trying to sort of find most things that try and get you writing, they all, us trapped in this world that like the the only true form of writing is 19th century literature it's just like that's that's one medium and it's you know younger than comics comics predate that so why can't i just comics? you know but there is that yeah there is this sort of snobbery when it comes to processes where people sort of um just sort of i i i don't know maybe this is not true maybe it's just my experience i don't know what, how it is for you but the people who typically tell you you have to sit down and write like this, by and large, aren't writers. They they're normally. Do you know what I mean? Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Well, some of them are. I just don't think that. I just don't think that their process or what they're thinking their process is is actually what they should be teaching. You know what I mean? Like, sure, yes, I can spend out. You inevitably will have to spend hours sitting in a chair. Mm. When you spend those hours, is that, is that the key? No. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. understanding story. And I remember somebody talking about, I think it was Stephen King. I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was, you know, basically like, oh, I don't even need to think of the ending of my book when I sit sure. down to write. And I'm like, yes, because you're Stephen King and you have written 40 of these. Like, the machine is in your brain. You know it's, what I mean? So it's not him got... being flippant. Yeah. It's that he understands it um uh, yeah. so i think and that sometimes is very difficult to teach because it's been sort of it's already I, I remember alan moore saying something similar he, he he went through his process and then explained that he doesn't do that anymore because he's good he's been doing it for so long it's second nature to him so he doesn't go through these steps um and that's typically what happens when people get very experienced so actually you know i was wrong earlier you're you're quite right Writers do talk like that. They do say, this is my process. You know, uh, Neil Gaiman says, you know, write every day. And uh, J. Michael Krasinski says, write this many words a day. And of course, like for them, it's so second nature for them. They do say stuff like that. You're quite right. Yeah. And then people ape that and say, that's how you should do it. And it's like, but that's not, that's not how they started necessarily. And that's not. I think if I gave people my tips, they'd be crazy. I mean, mm. I don't know. Like, it's, in, in the end, it's sort of like a toolkit, right? And you just yeah. put everything in there. And some of it is like this tool that you're like, I only use that once. Yeah. That's terrible. You know, like, I don't need that again. Mm. Or I need it every five years. But I think you just got to land on, I mean, in a way, whatever works for you. But there's no, and, and even people will ask me, like, well, 
how long is your book? And I mean, I know how many pages, but like with word count, I don't know. And I don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's like, what's going to be 80? I mean, yes, there is an industry standard for what it should be. Right. Yes. But like when I'm writing, I'm not looking at that and having that drive me crazy. Cause right. that's the least important thing for me. I know I can write a ton of words. That's sure. not a problem. Too many probably. And it's happened to me now. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, something you just brought up reminded me of, I don't know if it was, Stephen King or something else, but he'll probably come back to me. Oh, actually, no, I was just thinking about when you were talking about somebody else. Um, there were a couple like TV writers. I think the guy has passed away, but he was, I believe, like the lead writer for the A-Team and something else and maybe the Rockford Files. I don't know. But I somehow found an interview with him and he was talking about like in your second act, keep the heavies moving. And like just that like yeah. sentence really stuck with me because it's sure. like, okay, what has your villain been doing the whole time, right? Now right. get them moving. And like that kind of stuff like really works in my brain sure. more than, you know, in the second act, the person that is, you know, the antithesis of the hero or anti-hero, you know, like yes. all that like yes. just gets jumbled in my head. But yeah. if you just say, keep the heavies moving, you know, it's like for me, I've got to have like the guy in Rocky like shouting in my head. Like, that, <laughs> that helps. The guy in Rocky. Yeah. But again, somebody who wrote who knows how many scripts, right? I mean, I'm not necessarily a big fan of the A-Team, but whatever. This guy knows what he's doing. You know what I mean? Like, that that works. No, yeah, good. I get I get it. I think, yeah, yeah there's definitely um, keep the heavies moving. There's definitely something about um, that kind of language. The, the, the problem is um, I always find with that when, when writers try and teach like that is that they kind of they they forget I, I feel like sometimes they forget what it's like to really not know what you're doing at all like when I started trying to learn how to write it was uh, there was nothing I used to I used to you know I, I, I was uh, I, I used to theater I used to do amateur theater and we would put on plays somewhat regularly so I would read books on how to write and then I would try and write a play and I could never get anything that could be performed on stage and now that I'm more experienced and you see that you, know, you get phrase like keep the heavies moving or whatever, like, oh, I get what that person needs. But when I was 60, I had yeah. a clue what that meant. And so, like, I, right. I, you know what I mean? I, I totally get your point, though, because uh, I, I think naming things is really important. And sometimes you can get carried away with being really pretentious and giving uh, names that are very yeah. dry. Well, I think actually I should expand on that because he did he did give really good examples of what he meant. Yes. You know, he's like, so in your first and I can't remember he even used, he might have used, I don't know, I can't remember, it was like Terminator, but so he did give a good example. But oh, again, sure. for me, that was like a film reference that I could see in my head rather than, yes. you know, a literary reference, yeah. which, and I'm getting lost in the weeds of the language and all that. And yeah. not to say that, I mean, there are novels that are built pretty amazing. Like, I mean, I just discovered John Le Carre, which is ridiculous. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, he's a prolific writer and he's a freaking amazing, like, action writer and, like, suspense yeah. writer. And, you know, you read him and you're like, holy, this is what everyone's been talking about. And sometimes writers that are like that, they aren't good, right? So you've read one bad one and then you're like, well, never mind, because they're all going to be like that. But, you know, even reading like five pages of his fiction is really instructive in sure. terms of like yeah. very character driven. It's you know, it's different. It's a different kind of um, fiction. So, I, I thought it'd be interesting to talk about um, what your process is to some extent because 
what you're saying reminds me of uh, of something that I discovered about myself, which was when I'm writing fiction, I need a big empty space. I need to be alone, and that's it. And like I'll act out because I act out my parts, and I get up and I talk to myself, and I do all that stuff. So I need to make sure there's no one around and all that stuff. But if I try to write nonfiction, um, I can't. In that environment, I will spend the whole time on the internet researching. He says with inverted quotes, you know, like I I will do nothing. Uh, but if I sit in a cafe with my headphones on, I'll be able to focus. And when the pandemic hit, um, I tried to lock myself in in a room and just write, and I couldn't do it. And I found the only way I could write was I'd sit down on the sofa downstairs while my mum's watching television. I had my headphones on and I'm typing. I could work, no problem. But if I'm writing fiction, it's the exact opposite. And not knowing that cost me mm-hmm. months, if not years, because everyone says, oh, you've got to write in total. Like, it, And I'm like, I can't write nonfiction like that. I just can't do it. My mind doesn't work that way. And so you get bogged down in trying to ape someone else's process because they told you that, right? And it's just not how you work. So I was just wondering about how that is for you, like because you were talking about how you've learned your process. Yeah. And- mm-hmm. yeah, no, I've definitely gone down some unnecessary rabbit holes. Uh, you know, the story of the terrible writer's retreat too, <laughs> on an island in Maine, which there were many other social things that were horrible about that trip but yes. even the physical space i realized when i got there when i had this little cabin in the woods i mean there were other people around but it was terrible like i can't write like that like mm. i was in this cot this little cottage all to myself looking straight out to like just greenery and i'm like this is awful however i've discovered like if i'm in a hotel like you're saying if you're in a busy place yes i can write because i have distraction i can look around mm. i don't know even if i'm not thinking about those people it's knowing other people are around mm. knowing isolation is around is terrible when you're doing an isolated activity i sure. find like i'm like i don't need more isolation mm. from people from myself from my head like nature doesn't and for what, i don't know if it's only an american thing but we always have these damn retreats in the middle of freaking nowhere and it's like i don't like unplugging to me it should be able to occur occur when you're in a crowd <laughs> you know what i mean we all know how to do that we do it every day um yeah. So, and that could just be my opinions about nature as well. Now, not to say I don't like to like go for a walk in the morning or whatever, but like I live in a neighborhood. I don't want to be out in the middle of nowhere. So yeah, that was a good discovery. So what I did then was found other groups of writer friends who we just did the retreats ourselves. um, And it's kind of people I kind of knew or knew at least one or two people and we'll rent a house somewhere, maybe 10 of us and people I've never met before. And we've got a good rhythm down of like, okay, from nine to four, it's kind of quiet hours. If you want to go for a walk with someone, talk to them, you know, so we all kind of just sure. get into this habit together. And that's really fun. So, and has helped me. Um, so you find that you're writing, you do best when you there's a crowd around or there's when you're not isolated. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do tend to write by myself a lot, but like last year, well, who knows, we're still in the pandemic. Hmm. Um, my, there was an, another couple kind of writing groups that sprung up where we would be online together on zoom and we wouldn't talk, but we would just kind of have the screen up. Right. So oh, I could see you writing and some people just turn their screen off and that's, then at the end of like two hours, so it was a window time. Right. Yeah, so we knew like from 9 to 11 on a Tuesday, we're doing writing hours. And one group did have us like check in at the end and we could talk to each other. The other one, it was just like, 
just go in and out as you please. And that was actually kind of effective. Um, I like that. Yeah, that's sweet. Um, that's interesting. So you were just, so just having, having like a... Just having that habit. Yeah. Well, how do you feel about this whole, like, you work from night? Do you do that thing? You work from this hour to that hour? I try to at least write, I mean, it's different being in the revision process and the writing process, but I think, you know, and if I am trying to write like nonfiction, I try to have at least two hours a day that I've blocked out. But sure. Do I hit that every day? No. Yeah. Um, but knowing like the hours of the day that work best for me and knowing I need to do it first, that doesn't mean I wake up at four in the morning, but I've got to do it before I start doing other work or other things start sure. like eating away at me. Um, so yeah, I've never really gotten into that, like, Right, you know, I'm writing all day, and I'm gonna have lunch, and I'm coming back to it. Like I, yeah. I would guess my biggest stretch is maybe four hours, you know, and sure. even that is, you know. Yeah, I, 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 I can't do the time, that time thing either. I think a lot of people expect that you should have this sort of nine to five mentality, and I'm like, I just, uh, no. And uh, for me, I know once I start writing, I don't, I don't stop. Like I don't eat, I don't. I just keep going, um, and the fact that I, you know, I pray because you know I do the five daily prayers um, means that I have to have a break, and so as a result, now what I think of is I think uh, at this prayer I'm stopping, like it's the sunset prayer or whatever, depending on what what's going on in the day. But like this, when I get to this one, I'm done for the day i'm not going to keep going because i know i'll just i won't stop and then i'll be absolutely drained and then the next day i will have no energy no nothing and i'll hate everything i wrote the day before and then i'll be miserable and i won't get back to writing for another couple of weeks it's you know that kind of it's just like no i have to so i'm not great at the whole like keeping a specific time frame or a specific day but there is a part of me that realizes if i don't do that to some extent it's much worse. And so I, I at least give myself this right. sense of like, here's the cutoff point. At least I stop that. Yeah, I think that's important because you want to have some tiny bit of joy or interest or yeah. <laughs> whatever it is when you come back to it the next day. Um, yeah. And, you know, one, uh, there was some, I can't remember where I read it, but a woman was talking about how she goes through the process. And I think for her, it was at the end of the day of writing, she would then or whatever she was working on. And for her, the writing could be, she was editing that day or writing in her mind meant mm -hmm. research or whatever. Uh, but for the next day, she would write down like, okay, these are the five things I want to work on tomorrow. Whatever that is, like finish chapter yeah. three. So then you, when you come back to it, you have a list and you're not just staring at, yeah. you know, the whole thing again. That's actually, um, that's actually good. starting from scratch. I, 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 Quentin Tarantino said the same thing that he would, he would after he'd write for, for a specific number of hours then he'd go in the pool and just sort of let his mind wander then he'd get out and write down everything he thought about while he was in the pool and that would be for tomorrow and i actually i never do that and i think that's a really good technique i might start trying to do where you write down the night before because i really kind of like i'll write down just random notes in my phone but the idea of like making it like this is what I'm going to work on tomorrow, it's not a bad idea. Uh, and yeah, no, it's definitely helped me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and especially when I was last year going through rewriting a lot of the book, I mm -hmm. had to like be that 
ordered about it or else I was going to so, lose sight of finishing. What kind of things did you would you write down on your thing? Like, I assume like sometimes is it just like fix this character, fix this scene? Is it a theme? Yeah, probably more specific than that. Like, you know, remember to make sure he doesn't go into the grocery store twice or whatever, you know, oh, or go okay. back through and double check this. Or maybe it was um, clarifying some piece of information, you know, because sometimes as you're writing something or going through it, something else occurs to you because, yeah. you know, like five chapters down the line, yeah. shoot, this thing I just changed here is going to screw that up. And, right. you know, it's um, so that kind of thing. Or simply like, uh, well, because for me, it's my, my novel is multi POV and there are, uh, I think, at least four points of view. Right. Yeah. So I had to go back through and like see the story from each character's yeah. point of view without looking at the other character's point. Like it was <laughs> an insane process. I don't know. <laughs> it's a great way to start a novel where you're like, oh, I got all these characters and it's their different point of views. But then when you're going back, you're like, why did I do this to myself? This is insanity. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you mentioned uh, before we were recording about how you felt at times uh, this whole pressure to write a certain way or to do to you know to find the hours to do it this way and to do it that way that it was almost as if some of your professors were working against you um yes that was i mean i, I don't know that they actively were but i no. felt like like once i found the sort of aha moment let's use oprah uh for <laughs> me which was the oh my God, don't write the whole thing and then keep throwing it against the wall and thinking you're going to fix it. Sure. Take it slower, understand character, how these things are working together. Um, that was when I was like, oh my God, clearly all of my writing teachers have known this and they're just trying to throw off younger writers forever to just be lost in the swamp of their own words. <laughs> um, I can't say that was true, but I did. I was pretty mad. I remember, I think I even told Bob, I was like, God damn it. Like, this has been out there all along, and these people are just clearly intentionally not teaching it. They're hiding it from us, and he was laughing at me. But I mean, I did, I was mad. I was mad yeah. because I'm like, that worked for me. Like, however he said it, or I read it, or whatever, like, it just clicked in my brain, and I was like, oh my God. Because that might have been what I was trying to do, but just yes. didn't know that that's how I was supposed to do it. Right. right. Because yes. I think the class I had taken was a novel writing class, and the idea was over the course of a semester, we were supposed to write a novel, or at least a good portion of it. And so, and I'm sure for most people, it is about getting the words on the page. It really is. And even for me, it was, right? Like yeah. You have to have them on the page to throw them out later or just to get through it. Sure. But I think when you make that the goal, that's a different thing entirely. Because then you're just feeding that mm, monster. That's a, that's a really nice nuance, actually, that the problem isn't uh, necessarily trying to get words down. It's more the goal is just filling up a word count, just filling up pages as if like you wrote 10 pages today everything's great it's like no <laughs> the 10 pages have got to be good I right? Guess it's probably, right, yeah. right like nine of them are probably terrible um so <laughs> yeah i think taking it slower breaking it down more and i don't think that that unfortunately that's not to my knowledge and most other people i've talked to have gone through mfa programs it's just not how it's taught everyone's sort of taught the same way with this kind of hodgepodge of you know keep writing blah 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 right. go in this workshop which workshops are just yeah anxiety inducing this this is why I, I sometimes and maybe it's not fair of me to say it that way but that's why i sometimes say things like these people aren't writers because 
I I came up with the step outline by myself because I was when I was doing theatre we used to do this thing uh, every year we would break our group up into four groups and we'd each put on a one act play and the idea was each play supposed to be thirty minutes and every year every play was over over end by 10, 15, 20 minutes every single year. And every single year, dress rehearsal, people are trying to cut scenes out just to make it fit and on the dress, right? And so when I took over to write one of these four plays one year, I said, I'm not going to have that happen. And I sat down and on a piece of paper, I wrote one to 15. And I went, look, if each of these is about two minutes long, then we've got a 30 minute play. And if some are a little longer, that's okay, because some will be a bit shorter. So I said, what 15 things happen? And so I, they were just one sentences, one line on a piece of paper like that. And from the first rehearsal to the final night, 30 minutes. And so when I read story and that was in there, I, I was like, I feel so validated. But the reason yeah. I came up with it was because I was producing something on a regular basis and I could see it wasn't working. And it's like, okay, something's wrong with the process here because I'm not producing what I'm supposed to be producing. Like we shouldn't be scrambling every, like we know it's 30 minutes, we know it fits. So, you know, so that's why when, you know, so it's maybe it's a bit unfair, but when people say, oh, you just fill up the words, I'm just like, mm, hold on, you know, you're not looking at the Well, process. I think that's interesting because I think you you came to it from sort of a collaborative effort, right? So everybody's wasting time together <laughs> if it's, like, not working, right? So that's... it's like, you're like, what are we even doing if somebody's acting out this thing? Yeah. But I think for other writers, if you're just alone, you can be that indulgent, right? You yeah, just I guess be so. like, well, if I throw it out or I don't, you know, you don't have anyone else depending on you. And that was another, I remember reading an interview with um, Vince Gilligan talking about, the writer's room for Breaking Bad and his yeah. whole point was you know talking about kind of architecture and that type of thing but one quote that I really loved was about how he's like basically you know once we break the scene and figure it all out he's like anyone in that room could go out and write that scene yeah right because yeah. they figured it all they, out and that should yeah. it's going to be pretty much the same thing have you, you know? seen the step out ones have you seen them? no I haven't uh, I, I have I must have them somewhere on my phone uh they've been put up on Twitter a few times they are dense they are so dense they put some of yeah. them up for better call saul and you, i mean i assume you've seen better call saul yeah yeah okay do you remember the scene where kim uh says to lalo get your shit together remember so lalo lalo is wondering what happened with the money in the desert and everything and kim is just like get your shit to get your house in order get your shit together the card for that scene is dense and it has that line in it. Like, so when, when he says, you know, anyone can go from like the scene, they've worked out the beats of that scene. Literally, like she says this, this then happens and this then happens. So yeah, uh, that, yeah, I, I totally, <laughs> it just looks great when you realize that. I think that's a great insight because yeah. that shows you how important yeah. that stuff is. Well, but I, I, like, it's just like who's depending on you, right? And if yeah. you're just the writer yourself, it's hard. And that's what I've always really missed. Yeah. And I enjoy reading about writers' rooms because I'm like, I'd love other people being beholden to me or me being beholden to them for something because that is a different energy, right? Yeah. Like yeah. having friends in writers' groups is great, but like we're all working on our own thing. Yes. So nobody's really, yeah. And I can't expect them to work on my novel with no. me, but I feel like there's a different way where you can kind of have 
a different kind of accountability that I think will make everyone's writing better. How that works, I don't know for a novel, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. I think, I think the collaborative stuff is really, is really wonderful because it's not just all on you. You don't get, <clears throat> and when you work with someone else, there, ha- there has to be uh, a give and take. You've got, you've got to. Um, pay attention to what the other person is also trying to say, how they express it, how they work. You've got to get somehow in sync. And it breaks you out of ruts. Right? Actually, that's something you mentioned, right? You get into these ruts with the process. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and for me, I mean, I've usually gotten out of the rut or gotten excited by characters I see mm-hmm. on TV or in film. Like, for me, the the mother character in my book uh, Susan, she started out as very kind of like traditional Arab woman, didn't really know what was going on. And then I realized I was playing into these really annoying tropes in my <laughs> crime series, other than like Sopranos, where the wife is sort of clueless and doesn't know. And so now she's like American, she's very much involved in the business. But a lot of that came from watching Casino and Sharon Stone's character mm-hmm. and how she plays these characters against each other. I mean, she's broken in her own way, but like that character is phenomenal in a lot of ways so i just went back and like watched casino and took notes on her character and not to say my character is really that much like her but it was that energy that i kind of wanted of this person who's gaming this other system in a way i i love that the idea that to get yourself out of a rut you basically are using someone else's writing process their, their way of looking at a character or something just like i'm gonna write it as if that person was here with me in that way like okay this is how they look at these characters so i'm going to do it their way and so you sort of like do it just not because necessarily their process is the right process or the right way of doing it but to make you stop thinking in the way that was producing something Mm -hmm. you weren't happy with just to knock yourself out yeah i think that's great i mean that's that's a big part of it like changing your thinking about about something like it just so much of as you say is about this sort of like you fall in love with it you you keep trying to iterate what was there but you can't work out how to fix it and it's like well because the thinking process that led you there was problematic in whatever way now you have to and you know once you change your thinking process you're not going to want to necessarily keep everything that was produced um yeah yeah and you have to be okay with that or at least mm-hmm. understand you know, so I'm kind of in that right now where I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's at least one subplot, one, one subplot, subplot that probably doesn't need to be there, you know, and yes. maybe it could be somewhere. It's not that it's not interesting or adding to the story, but I think it's not really adding in a way that isn't just kind of one too many things. You know sure. what I mean? That's just going to confuse people rather than, than bring them back to the main parts of the story. But I, yeah, I think it's, it's, interesting i think for me in my novel i was you know it's about an arab american community but you know with a name like shannon o'neill no one knows that i have that background at all um and so i feel like just for my not even beyond that like i just feel like playing against stereotypes is so important and yeah so i had to be really conscious of that when because we all fall into stereotypes because sometimes they're easier to write or you don't even know you're doing it and you're like oh god now i just created the thing that I didn't want to do. Um, and so really pushing against those yeah. sort of things that, you know, yeah. uh, can be problematic or, or realizing too. And I mean, the reason I even started the novel was because what I had been working on in workshop, I got really bored with or my 
actually another novel which starts in like Lebanon in 1910 uh, and I was like gosh what would happen like if you know this character's like great great grandson like what's he doing now and that's how I started this whole novel like I just right. imagined that character and then submitted it to my workshop and realized nobody in the workshop knew that Michigan had a huge Arab American community <laughs> had no concept that they weren't all first generation and so and it, during the workshop, I was really annoyed, but then I was like, oh, but they're interested. You know what I mean? Like, they right. just didn't know. It wasn't that they were like, we don't believe you. This is terrible. <laughs> they were just like, oh, why is his name Albert? Why wouldn't it be Mustafa? You know, and, they, and yeah. so I was like, well, I can take this experience and be like, these people are idiots or whatever. Or I can be like, wow, they're interested. They don't know. Let me show them. You sure. know, and so that is how the whole thing came about, really, was yeah. I took that storyline and just kept going and then imagined another character. And, you know, so. I, I guess that is to say other people's ignorance doesn't have to shut down your knowledge, <laughs> right? You can mm-hmm. just, especially if they're interested or what, and it's not always all about them either, but yeah, um, yeah you can't always expect that what you know is going to be something that yeah readers know or, you know, yeah, and that makes sense. You mentioned that you would take a character, come up with, the way you talk about your inspiration is you, get, you have a character and then you just start plowing plowing through the, what the character's backstory is that how you think about it how, i mean do you just build up a biography of a character yeah. i write too much backstory for sure i mean i could write back if there was a job where someone's like we need someone to write backstory i would love it that would be my full-time job they would just give me like five things about this character i'm gonna do it i love it so that's a thing i have to be careful of because well it might be interesting it can just get too detailed but yeah i think I yeah I like writing backstory so I'll start with you know and I and I tried to get better at you know having a character in an active moment and then maybe imagining what's going through their head and that kind of internalized thing rather than what was happening to me when I was writing these short stories was I had a lot of lonely old people just wandering around their houses remembering something active in their life you know so how do you take that backstory and put it into action um so yeah my characters I feel like to me feel pretty fully formed like it's mm. rare that i feel like oh i don't know that character it's like i know them how deep i want to get into them is a little different so why, why do you say it's a problem that you like this much backstory what, what, what's the bad thing i guess because i'm revising now and i'm like wow do we really need to know in this moment where she's getting ready for her husband's funeral right what it was like when her family came over the first time and the neighborhood they grew up i mean maybe you know i don't know um it's <laughs> So it's that kind of thing where like where you're placing it, right? Like, is it, sure. is it illuminating something or is it right now not right for the reader? Cause they're just like, wait, I just met this woman and now I'm getting too much of this information, you know? So figuring out where it makes the most sense sure. is maybe part okay. of the, yeah. I guess it's because for me, it's something I enjoy. So I feel like if it's something you enjoy and you can do well, yeah. then it's probably you're being indulgent and it's a bad thing and you need to cut it. <laughs> well, no, that's true. I don't yeah, know. I don't think that's true. I think if you're, if your way of looking at it is that you get these characters and you like building these backstories and mapping out the, their lives, I mean, if I if I if I was someone who that's not how I write, I don't think of it that way. But if I if anything, my characters are probably too weak. But if I was thinking about that, like when I think about characters, I think of really mundane things like how they get up and you know their daily routine i try and get into that i don't think about backstory and i always feel and like 
I, I have trouble building a history. It's that's something I'm not very good at. And so if I was good at that, if I would just had what you have, this sense of just like I'm just going to start writing this character and the trajectory of their life and all that stuff, then I wouldn't. I would never sort of curb it. I would just be like, yeah, I'm going to go do it, and then I'm just going to, you know, look at those th- like all those events, and then maybe make a note on what which ones could be an inciting incident, and which ones could be a subplot and which ones could be a crisis decision, and then see what story I can map out of those things out of all the things I've built, rather than come up with all that stuff, then try and come up with a story separately almost, and then trying to fit the character into the story. I'd just be like, no, I'm just going to... I'm Because backstory is just a series of events, so why not just go, yeah, that... And then I'll start my story there. Oh, I mean, that's pretty much what I've done, so yeah. good, I'm glad that... But I mean, because I love character-driven stories, yeah. you know, I like that sort sure. of energy. Um, so I think that's where my literature background definitely yeah, comes sense. in and, you know, helps me. But, um, that makes sense. Yeah, me. so I enjoy I like backstory. I love research. I mean, I yeah. do research all the time. So getting yourself out of that yeah. can be a little, yeah. a little difficult. But. Yeah, I can understand that. You can spend a lot of time procrastinating about that. But, um, I'm I'm glad because you know, when you're saying that stuff, and then you say to yourself, "Well, maybe it's being indulgent." I'm like, "No, like that sounds amazing!" <laughs> like just to like go off on these characters, I think that's great. I like that. I I mean, I it's, it's just it's just timing, right? It's like when do you need to know this about that person yeah. or someone? Because I think it's just trying to figure out what's the reader reading for in that moment, right? And they're yeah. reading to get to the funeral. They're reading to whatever. Yeah. You? Right dragging that down or moving too fast so right now that's sort of where i am with revision is like wow things seem to be happening really fast or is it that you know the way i just went through and for the first half pretty much gained a lot of the scenes or how they're you know it's i don't play music but it feels like music in terms of like how you're arranging it and like having these things work together um so yeah the revision process is a whole different (laughs) whole different part of your brain it is sure uh so i think the last thing uh you mentioned uh sadie smith talking about macro and micro writers yeah, sadie smith yeah she's a great fiction writer talk mm. about someone who writes great setting and she wrote what white teeth and mm. um oh she's great yeah i mean she's she's english um but anyway yeah she in her collection of essays she was talking about um, the difference between a macro writer and a micro writer and she considers herself a micro writer and that's someone who starts at the beginning of a novel when they're writing it and just keeps going till the end like they don't stop they don't rearrange scenes they just mm. go and they're probably a little more meticulous in my mind because they're kind of editing while they go um a macro writer on the other hand is someone who I mean, we all kind of start, maybe starts in the middle, doesn't know that it's the middle, you know, and can move right. things around in a larger way. And she uses a good metaphor of a house. Yeah. And, you know, a micro writer might go room to room very carefully, cleaning each room or whatever. And a macro writer is like, what? That couch doesn't fit there. I'm moving that. Oh, I'm just throwing that couch out. I don't need that. And that definitely is me. I mean, there's characters who have completely left the story. The story's changed in certain ways. And right. but that's just how my brain works. So, you, you know, I think that's sort of the problem you run into when people are teaching writing or trying to help you in the process is that they might be a micro writer teaching a macro writer. And then you're feeling like you're wrong for what you're doing. Uh, 
but that's just you know her point is like there's no right or wrong it's just through her conversations with other writers and friends that's what she discovered and that was so brilliant because i i know that for like our intro to novel class there were a lot of people who definitely were micro writers who really were i think struggling because and their stuff they were producing was brilliant because like it was like wow it felt so done to me but i think their struggle was in keeping going at that pace um whereas those of us who was our first draft it was kind of like oh like we'd be showing each other oh, this is chapter comes later forget about that character and i'm sure it drove right. micro writers insane um so yeah, yeah i love that idea of for me that's a little bit yeah of freedom but then you got to remember oh no did i throw out all the furniture in that room and <laughs> well I, I like the analogy because both the macro and micro writer are building a house um and, and for my money like you know you you can't you could go either way macro and micro but you have to agree that you're building a house i mean if everyone has their own definition of what a house is and what a house requires then it's like well it doesn't matter if you're macro or micro because if you didn't put a roof it's not a house <laughs> you know like i don't mind right. when you get to the right. roof True. but you need a roof <laughs> you know it's that kind of thing right we all agree a roof is coming at some point exactly um, i don't do you ever see the movie is it synetiki yeah new york yeah i think it's charlie kaufman it is charlie kaufman i feel like i mean i only saw it once and i mean i think i believe people walked out <laughs> the screening but I thought it was brilliant. Like to me, it was the best sort of interpretation of what the creative brain feels like at times or like weird dreams you have. I think there even was like a house metaphor in there. It is a wild movie, but I feel like it really fits into like what you go through when you're writing or revising. I can't remember if I saw it. Or not. I, I feel like I did. It's, it's weird. I mean, and it's got, I want to say it's got like Catherine Keener. And then another actress that looks like Catherine Keener, or no, Samantha Morton, and the actress that looks like her. Like, there's all these repeating kind of characters. It's so bizarre. It's definitely worse. I need to re-see it, because I was like, wow. Yeah. It was, yeah. So that's intense. how it is for you, these, all these characters, and they're all just sort of like trying to collaborate together to finish this story. It's a weird, well, it's not even so much about a story. I can't remember if... It feel almost in my mind. I sort of combine it with um, oh gosh, uh, oh it starts with an I. It's the um, the director that did Batman, and uh, my gosh, he's a huge director, and he did Dunkirk, and I can't think of his name. But he Inception. It reminds me of Inception. Uh, Like it has that similar, not as dramatic and huge, (laughs) but it has that weird like you're not in reality, right? Charlie Kaufman, very different than maybe that's the one. biggest no. director in maybe. the world whose name I can't remember Chris, right now. Christopher Nolan, so you're thinking of. Thank you. Okay. Yes, that's his name. Maybe that's why you, you like having um other writers next to you all the time because then it's it's not all in your head so much. Um that it's yeah. it, it doesn't get so abstract or anything like that. You're not just sort of losing yourself and there's always you know. Maybe that's it. It's interesting. Yeah, just having other people around. Yeah. Sorry, I hope you can't hear my dog snoring. <laughs> no. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was. I think that's great. Um, and that's a great place to end it. Um, so thank you. Uh, how well, thank if you. people would like to get yeah, in contact you. with you or if you want to, to talk, I mean, best way to get a hold of you or if you want to mention anything in particular that, 
you've got that you want people to see, now would be a good time? Um, no, I don't have a writer's website. And my Instagram is mostly pictures of my dog. So, <laughs> <laughs> but if, if I get a writer's website and once my book is actually in my agent's hands, then I will definitely come back to you and give you that information. Fantastic. Because uh, I, I, I mean, I, I put this stuff up on Twitter, so, uh, but you're not on Twitter. So. Cool. But um, that's, that's great. That's really great. Thank you. Um, yeah. Well, thank you. That was super fun. It's interesting how much you, I really love collaborating. Um, and it's interesting how it seems you sort of crave that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever thought about doing theatre? No, but I would. I mean, I'd be interested in it. Because, I mean... I've never written a play, but... I mean, yeah. writing a play is, 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 is not really that difficult in the sense of medium. But um, the reason that you might like it is because you you get to do the synecdoche thing. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the one thing I remember about synecdoche. It felt it reminded me of rehearsing for a play. You've got the actors there, the directors there. That it's not like a film where the writer's kind of superfluous. You know, you might you might really like that experience. Um, yeah, I had a friend who he's actually. A become a really well-known playwright um his name is victor or no his name is lucas hanaf mm. and he did he redid a doll's house it's called like a doll's house revisited or something mm. and he also did an entire play about walt disney mm. um but anyway and and he was dating a friend of mine but we were talking about plays and i just had that moment where i was like oh my god so he was talking about going to rehearsals and i just the idea of somebody reading the words I put on the page and that person not looking like they did. It just was so terrifying to me. I was like, oh, that's a whole other level of it that I don't even know how you get through. But he'd yeah. always wanted to be a playwright. And, uh, but it was interesting talking mm -hmm. to him about just story process. And yeah, he writes really creative, interesting stuff. Well, that, I think that's great. I, I, I really, I like how you, um, you keep rejigging your process. Um, and you keep forcing yourself out of this room, and then owning your preferences. Like you, you try it a different way. You try this way. You try that way. Then you go, no, I like this way, and that's the way I want to do it. And it doesn't make me less of a writer. I think that's, I think that's fantastic because um, I think people, a lot of people, lose a lot of time, as you know, trying to ape someone else. And, uh, yeah, yeah, or not realizing there's a billion other ways. Yeah. to do it in that different right and i so i like reading interviews with right i've had an interview with this randomly that um oh gosh he wrote neuromancer william gibson yeah um and he was talking about his writing process which is basically like every day he just starts back at the beginning of whatever you know so maybe he'll write 50 pages and the next day he goes back to page one and he edits from there all the way out wow. to 50 and then another 20 and i was like wow i don't think i could quite do that but works for him you know like he's never yeah he's very interesting guy yeah well uh i i wish you all the luck i look forward to your novel um that i started reading all those years ago um and it was great and so i wish you all the best and uh, hopefully we'll chat soon thanks okay. sounds good take care thank you for listening 
You can find me on Twitter at Basim Story, and other ways to find and support this podcast can be found in this episode's description. Jazakallah.